Andrew always says, get rid of that cup. <laughs> I can't or I get too hot, right? Well, it's a blessing to be here. I want to find my clock. There we go. And um, just have to say thank you. I, um, I'm just now kind of getting back on the trail, speaking all over the place. And um, the first thing I do is always thank everyone that have been praying for me, been praying for Andrew, been praying for our whole family since Roger went home. Um, Xavier and Trudy came to Memorial. Oh my gosh, what a blessing that was to have them there. And um, so it's been, um, it's been a challenging year, it has been quite a year since Roger went home to be with the Lord, but God is faithful. I'm here to tell you, God is faithful. I can tell you that. <laughs> and um, it's so cute because now, over 40 years, I was the pastor's wife, and now I'm the pastor's mom. And so it's a real, real blessing. It is a change, but um, my daughter-in-law does not like to teach. And so really, there's no big change for my ministry. So it's like I still do the same stuff. I might be a little bit more bossier now, I think, with um, Andrew. <laughs> Just a little bit. You know, i got to be put in my place every now and then. I told him the other day we were, I was being bossy about something, and I thought, I'm going to get kicked out of this church if I don't shut up. <laughs> and so I won't tell you the story behind that. <clears throat> it's not for public um, knowledge yet. <laughs> so it's a blessing. It's a real blessing to be here. I love your theme for the summer. I was just telling Trudy that Mary of Bethany is one of my all-time favorite characters of the Bible. Of course, I say that about every year whenever about the book of the Bible that we choose. Every book's always my favorite, and every person's always my favorite. But truly, I can honestly say Mary of Bethany is kind of up here because I just adore her. And um, there's so much there. And I love the way that Trudy laid it out with three different messages on the same woman because really we could talk all night, couldn't we? About Mary of Bethany, she's that rich and that deep and that wonderful. She was just a wonderful, wonderful um person and I can't wait to meet her someday. You know, do you think about heaven and meeting all these wonderful Bible characters that we just get so excited about whenever we're reading and studying and listening to Bible studies? Well, one of these days we're going to be talking to that person. I was sharing at another uh, fellowship Saturday morning about my testimony, kind of a personal testimony, which is not my favorite thing to do. But I do it because I want to stay flexible for him. But um, I was sharing about um, that moment in time when we do either through the rapture or through going home with, to be with the Lord when we actually get to heaven. And of course, we know, think, of course, heaven is much more personal to me now because Roger is there. And of course, Jesus is the main attraction. And then after that is Chuck Smith. <laughs> For Roger, I'm sure that was true. But I always think of that moment whenever we enter through those gates and we're there and we're in the presence of the Lord. And of course, we know that there is no marriage and no giving in marriage in heaven, right? You guys are well taught. You know that, right? Sometimes that bums people out, especially new married people, but not Roger and me. We were always really excited about that. <laughs> it was like, babe, you know what? When we get there, it's going to be like, I don't know who's going to get there first. And we would laugh and talk. And I said, you know what? It's just going to say, hey, I'm not even sure I'll call him babe because, you know, there's no marriage. There's no give. It's like, hey, Rog. Hey, Diane. See you later. We're going to go talk to Paul and David. I'll, we'll meet later. <laughs> and so, you know, it's all good. But the characters of the Bible, I really can't wait to meet them. And I'm a little envious because, of course, Roger is ahead of me. And so he's already met Mary of Bethany, and I can't wait to get reruns on everything. Can you? Right from their own mouth. So Mary of Bethany, she's an amazing woman. So before we pray, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. 
That's my portion. But I also want you to go ahead and turn to Mark 14 as well. So John 12 and Mark 14, and we're going to read both of those, okay, just to give us a little bit more background on that. And it just dawned on me, I didn't mark him, so I better turn there. (laughs) John, I was having such a good time talking to everybody back there, I didn't mark him. So John 12, first. There we go. Okay. John 12 and Mark 12. Sorry about that. Take a little bit more time here. Okay. John 12 and Mark 12. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you tonight. Thank you once again for your precious word. Thank you, Lord, for this place. Thank you, Father, for the sweet, sweet fellowship, Lord. What would we do without the family of God? We're so thankful. We thank you, Lord, for your precious word. It's a light and it's a lamp. And we thank you, Father, for your word. And Father, we also thank you for your precious Holy Spirit, who's our teacher. He's our guide, and we recognize that right now. And Lord, we thank you that you've provided this precious Holy Spirit to teach us, to lead us through your scriptures, to show us what we don't understand, and then to go a step further, and then to empower us to do what it says to do. So, Father, we're thankful tonight. In Jesus' name, we all agree. Amen. Now, there are all, I know you guys already know some of this stuff because you've had Mary of Bethany twice, so it's wonderful. But if I repeat a little bit, I figure we all need it, don't we? Especially the older ones. <laughs> Me? <laughs> I need a little repeat sometimes. But there are all together, as far as Mary of Bethany goes, there are four passages all together in the Gospels that deal with Mary of Bethany. And so make a note, Matthew, which I know you already have in your Bibles, Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, and John, of course, actually chapters 11 and 12. We see Mary of Bethany. Now, while we are not told an extreme amount of intricate details about Mary of Bethany's background, What we are told about Mary of Bethany is actually quite precious and pretty special. And we're told in John 11, verse 1, that she was the sister of who? Martha and Lazarus, who we all know Jesus did what for Lazarus? Raised him from the dead. Can you imagine? Get down. I mean, can you imagine? Seeing someone raised from the dead, much less your brother, how amazing this is. And so we're told that they all lived in this city called Bethany. You guys are so good. I can just get down and go home. (laughs) You know all this. And, of course, Bethany is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And I'm going to share a story for Trudy tonight. But one year when we were in Israel, um, we had or supported a missionary, Leona. And she worked, actually, she worked with um, some of the Muslims and some of the, um, the people that we kind of have a hard time loving, right? And she was so precious, and she worked with the young people. And so she lived, of all places, in Bethany. And so when we got there to Israel for our tour, she was so excited that we were coming. We had a very close friend with us named Jim, and um, he was precious. And uh, Jim was one of the, um, he's actually hes actually the owner of the box company, you know, Samaritan's Purse Boxes, the green and the red with the little airplane. He's the CEO of that company. And so he's the most wonderful guy and just an amazing, he just loves the word and just a sweet, sweet Christian. Well, he was with us on the tour. And so Leona, this missionary 
that we supported. She said, oh, you've got to come. She says, I want to prepare dinner for you guys. I want you guys to come. I'm going to go into the to the marketplaces and get the, all the stuff fresh and blah, 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 blah. And we said, oh, okay, this, this sounds really good. Well, the first thing that happened, which was hilarious, I've got to hurry here. Um, I hate being time restrained, but we have to hurry. <laughs> uh, but what the first hilarious thing that happened is that we went to get a cab. Well, we had to go through um, this one area that was really pretty. It was like, you know, really raunchy, right? And so the cab people, only the Muslims cab drivers would drive there. And so it was like really kind of scary. And so we went to get in the cab, and I said, I'm not getting in that cab. I said, I'm not going, uh-uh. <laughs> and um, you had to drive through. It was kind of an area. It was also going to Ramallah, if you know anything about Israel. And so you had these Muslim gentlemen for whom Christ died. We have to remember that. <laughs> and they were screaming, Ramallah, Ramallah. And everybody smelled. And it was just chaotic and everything. And they wanted us to get in this cab. And I was the only woman. And I said, I'm not getting in that cab. I'm not getting in it. You know, so everything, well, come to find out, our wonderful brother Jim, he paid for a whole van. So I go, oh, okay, I'll give him that. (laughs) So it was just us. It was only us. And so it was so precious of him to do that. Well, anyway, we drive through all these areas, et cetera, et cetera. We get to her house. We get finally to that area and all that. Everything was just so chaotic. But what was beautiful was, is that she had gone to the marketplace, she had gotten all the fresh foods, the pita bread, all the sweet things, wonderful things, and she had prepared, she went to prepare and did prepare this beautiful dinner. We get there, her whole wall was nothing but picture windows. And so it overlooked that whole area. We were in Bethany and it overlooked the city of Bethany. And so as she began to, to get all of the specialty foods and all of the pita bread out and all the things, the, the hummus and everything, of course, I am dramatically going over in my mind how that, okay, I'll be Mary of Bethany. <laughs> Leona will be Martha. <laughs> you know, um, Lazarus, uh, that can be Jim. And I guess Roger can be Jesus. Oh, okay. You know, and so it was like, you know, I was just like totally dramatizing this whole scene. And it was just, and I, I they told him, I said, ooh, this is so cool. And so that's like my, my huge memory there of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus. How beautiful. But, you know, I just, my mind just went spinning. You know, I, I love dramatization. And I, I like really putting myself in the story, don't you? And it really makes it come alive, doesn't it, in the word. And so I love that. And of course, we know from the scriptures that these three people, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they had a very tight and close and intimate relationship with Jesus. We know that, right? And they had a special friendship with him, with Jesus himself. And we know this because it says in John chapter 11, verse 5, I love this, and I love this. It says, now Jesus, get this, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus, John eleven five. Now, it is very rare in Scripture, and you can check this out tonight when you go home, but it's very rare in Scripture to see someone mentioned by name that Jesus loved. Check it out in the Gospels. Check it out. Now, of course, we know Jesus loved every person. He had compassion on the multitudes, and he knew each person individually, and he loved them individually. But there are only a very few places in Scripture where people are actually mentioned specifically by name, like here or there in John 11. 
about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so we see this special, special friendship and the special love that Jesus had for these three people. And, of course, the other thing that I think sometimes we forget, especially with biblical movies and maybe our own imaginations and our own imaging about the Bible, but a lot of times we forget that with these people in this particular tight-knit little friendship group, they were very young. They were young people. A lot of times we'll watch biblical movies and we don't really get to see because the acting isn't well cast how young they were. These were young, young people. So keep that in mind when you think of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus. They were all like early 30s, late 20s. We're talking, we're talking, what would we call them at, at Calvary Chapels, uh, college plus or <laughs> they were young. And so Jesus, he had this special tender love. That was his home base. That was his stopping place. That's where he went to rest. That's where he went to eat. That was where he loved these people. He had this tender love for these three people. But we also see, and we're going to see tonight, especially here in Mark, that Mary of Bethany had an incredibly deep love for Jesus. And we sang about it tonight. That song was amazing. I love that song we sang. And so she had this tender love for Jesus, this deep love for Jesus. And if nothing else were ever known about this woman, Mary of Bethany, then these two things would be enough. And that was, and that is, that Jesus loved Mary of Bethany and that Mary of Bethany loved Jesus. Now, those are two really great things, aren't they? (laughs) If you want to have two things known about you forever, What better two things could you have? Jesus loved her, and she loved Jesus. How glorious is that? So this is Mary of Bethany. So real quick, let's just read the two passages. First, let's start with Mark, chapter 14. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take Jesus by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany... In the house of Simon the leper, as he sat eating, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box, poured the ointment on his head, and there was some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and had been given to the poor, and they murmured against Mary. And Jesus said, What did he say? He says, Leave her alone. Why are you troubling her? She has wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you will, you may do them good. But me, you will not have always. She has done what she could. And she has come beforehand to anoint my body for the burial. Verily I say unto you, wherever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she has done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Now, real quick, let's go to John 12. I'm, pardon me. Yeah, John 12. Let me push it over here real quick. Boop, boop. And let's get the the prime passage for the night. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead. I don't just love that, where Lazarus was, who had been dead. (laughs) I just love that. He had been dead. Whom Jesus raised from the dead, there they made him a supper. And Martha served. 
But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with what? Her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the bag, and he bore what was put in it. And then said Jesus, here he is, let her alone. For the day of my burial hath she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. And so now, here we go. This is Mary of Bethany, right? She's an amazing person. First of all, I'm going to tell you what she was not. Mary of Bethany was not a famous woman in her day. Mary of Bethany was not the latest Christian women's author of her day. She was not the wife of some famous man in her day. She was not a famous blogger on the computer. (laughs) She was not even a well-known speaker. She didn't have a lot of preeminence where she was, you know, like during her life where she lived where everybody just, you know, oh, she just, she was lauded and she was famous. She wasn't any of those things. But Jesus says here in verse 8, or said in Mark 14, verse 8, that she has done what she could. And I love how the Phillips translation handles that. It says in the Phillips translation that Mary has done all that she could. She did all that she could for her Lord. And by doing all that she could, Jesus said in verse 9, what did he say? He said, wherever the gospel would be preached throughout the whole world. Can you imagine? Throughout the whole world, he said, that this one thing that this one woman did would be spoken of throughout the world. This one thing. And of course, what do we see tonight? Some 2,000 years later, what are we talking about? Who are we talking about? We're talking about Mary and what she did. So see, we're still talking about it. And so here we are. We're fulfilling the very words that Jesus spoke here by discussing Mary of Bethany and by, and by taking a look at what she did for her Jesus, her Lord. And so as Mary of Bethany did everything that she could, she did all that she could for her Lord, Jesus then took what she did, that one act, and he used it throughout the centuries, throughout the generations, not only as a memorial of her, but also as an example to all of us through the years of what it is to have sacrificial and precious, deep, unreserved worship for Jesus. She's the example. She is it. And how beautiful she is. And so with all of us here, each woman with all of our different personalities, we're all different, we're all unique, right? We all have different talents, different gifts, different ministries. When we take all that we have and we do all that we can, no matter what your ministry is, no matter what your gift is, and we take it and we pour it upon the Lord, we give it to him, then what happens? He's going to take it and he's going to multiply it and he's going to use it all down through time. Just as he did with Mary of Bethany, he's going to use every time we take 
everything that we have and we pour it upon Jesus. It's just like taking a rock, a little pebble, and throwing it into a lake. What happens? It, you can see the reverberations, can't you? It goes and goes and goes and goes. And see, that's the example here for us with Mary of Bethany's life. It's so amazing. And so we find this precious Mary here in John. She's serving her Lord with this beautiful act of worship. And notice here, we find Mary in a very special spot, don't we? It's your, it's your theme. We find her at a, in a special spot. We find Mary worshiping the Lord at his feet. But realize something about Mary of Bethany and be assured, be assured that this is not the first time that Mary is found at the feet of Jesus. You should know that, right? From, from this beautiful way your, your whole summer, summer sessions are laid out. This isn't the first time that you see Mary at the feet of Jesus. Because see, Mary was very familiar with that spot at the feet of Jesus. And you know, that's a great question for us tonight. How familiar are we with that spot at the feet of Jesus? Are we that familiar with that place, that spot at the feet of Jesus? Do we know that spot well? Are we familiar with it? Do we desire to be in that spot at his feet every single day? Do we desire it? Do we have a passion for it? Are we familiar with that place? And, you know, I was thinking about that spot, and every time I share this message, it's one of my favorite studies, and it always comes back to me as I begin to look through the notes and add fresh and kind of, kind of critique and everything. And, you know, Mary of Bethany just gets better and better every time you talk about her, every time you study her. But one thing about that spot at Jesus' feet and how Mary was so familiar with that spot at his feet, when you think about it, When Mary sat at Jesus' feet, there was one thing different about that spot than it is for us. Do you know what it is? For Mary, there were no nail prints yet. No nail prints in Jesus' feet yet. And so when she sat at his feet, she didn't see the nail prints. She hadn't seen those nail prints yet. But us, now, over 2,000 years later, as we sit at his feet... We can see the nail prints, can't we? Because he's, he's done it. He's gone to the cross. He's paid the price. He, he shed his blood. He went to the cross. He's risen again. And so see, how much more precious should be that spot to us from this vantage point? He did it all. Do you like to think about the cross? I love to think about the cross. I mean, the cross is just, that's the crossroads, if you will, of all mankind, isn't it? Of everything. It was the cross. It's Jesus being willing to go to the cross, being willing to have his, his feet and his hands pierced and his body pierced with the sword and the crown of thorns and all the things that we, that we think about when we think of the cross. What a beautiful, beautiful, endless, incredible thing that he did for us. And so that thing was different for Mary. There were no nail prints yet. We see the nail prints when we sit at that spot. And so Mary was very familiar with that spot at Jesus' feet. And of course, twice before we see Mary at Jesus' feet, we see her at his feet at other times for other reasons. And I know you guys have have had a couple of studies about that. We find uh, Mary at Jesus' feet for instruction In Luke chapter 10, verse 39, remember, Jesus was there at the house. And, of course, where was Martha? She was out in the kitchen, wasn't she? 
And she was picking out the holder for the Splenda. And she was making sure that the S's all were in the same order, where it was all S, 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 S. <laughs> and that the spoons were all set just the same way. There was Martha, right? She was doing her thing. She was anxious about the meal and many things, uh, all that had to be done. And so she was doing all of that. And it says that Mary was where? She sat at Jesus' feet, and she heard his word. And it's interesting, Mary was found first at, the, at Jesus' feet for instruction. And that's exactly the outline for your summer, that she was found first at Jesus' feet for instruction. And then the next time, of course, that we see Mary at the feet of Jesus, it's for a different reason. And in your layout, it was for comfort, I believe. But I also like to include in that second time that she saw his power. She received his comfort. Remember, Lazarus had died, and they were really upset, and they were grieving, and, oh, it was just a horrible time for, um, for Lazarus and for, and, for Mar- and for Mary and for Martha. It was just horrible. Lazarus, of course, they didn't think he'd ever. I, it was just the most horrible thing. They didn't think he, he was sick, but, oh, man, he died. You know, and here they were, these sisters, so upset and so grieving and all that. And so I like to say that the second time that she's found at Jesus' feet, yes, comfort, but also to witness his power, his power. In John chapter 11, verse 32, after Lazarus had died. And it says there that when, when she saw Jesus, she fell down at his feet. And she said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus, of course, raises Lazarus from the dead. And I love it that he called Lazarus, didn't he? He said, Lazarus, come forth. Remember that? And you know why he said Lazarus? If he hadn't said Lazarus, every person in there would have come forth. All the other dead bodies would have come forth. You ever wonder that? Why he said Lazarus, come forth? He had a reason for it. It's like, whoa, you know, that's like, that's power. And so there Mary was the second time at the feet of Jesus. Yes, for comfort, but also to witness his power. And then here in John 12, we see Mary at the feet of Jesus worshiping. She's worshiping. And so what do we see from Mary's life? We see that beautiful things, awesome things happen when we choose to take the time to sit at Jesus' feet. You want to see some action? You want to see some stuff happen in your Christian walk? You just sit at his feet. Sit at his feet and things begin to happen. And so here Mary sitting there at Jesus' feet for instruction from him, for comfort, to see his power. And of course, we do have to sit at the feet of Jesus to be instructed, don't we? And we have to sit at the feet of Jesus to have him empower us. And so how glorious and wonderful that that's, those are times where we have to, that's where we have to be to receive those things from Jesus is at his feet. And so also, as we're seeing here, we need to be at the feet of Jesus to worship him. And don't you love to worship Jesus? Now, I'm in a season of my life where I can tell you it is the most, it's always been glorious to worship the Lord. I've always loved his word. I've always loved, adored his word. I've always loved sharing it. I've loved studying it. I love reading it through. I love studying it through. I love talking about it, everything about the, about the, the word of God. But you know, there's just something so powerful when you're in a certain season or if you're in a trial, a deep trial, I usually call them small trials, medium trials, or big trials. <laughs> you know, it's like small, medium, and large. And you know the old saying, if you're not in a trial now, you're either leaving a trial or you're about ready to go into a trial. <laughs> it's like everybody has trials, right? We all do. Isn't that common to man? Common to women? 
We all experience trials. And so there's just something special and extra special whenever you are at those times where you are in need and you are in a tough moment and you are in a tough storm and it is a tough trial and it's a like, it's a like level 10 trial. Let me tell you, sometimes, you know, it, it, it can be rough things, things in life. Some rough storms can hit us. Isn't that true? But you know, as we sit at his feet and we begin to just, just take in who he is and we're instructed and we're comforted and we're empowered, then the automatic thing that we do is we begin to worship him, don't we? And isn't he worthy of our worship? Let me tell you, he is faithful. He's faithful in everything. He's faithful in every trial. He's faithful no matter what. He's the most glorious, wonderful person. I remember Joy Dawson. She used to have a, a saying about Jesus, and I love it. And, um, and she would say it regularly. And she would say, Jesus is the most scintillating personality in the universe. And he is, isn't he? There's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. And no one will ever love you like Jesus loves you. I always say that no matter where I go, that Jesus loves you supremely and no one will ever love you like he loves you. Now, Roger loved me. I have no doubt that Roger would have stepped in front of a Mack truck for me. I have no doubt. My mom loves me. She's a great mom. She'd bend over backward for me. She'd do anything for me. My son loves me. He'd do anything for me, especially now because he's just all around me. You okay? You need anything? What do you need? Da, da, da. <laughs> he's just precious. You know, my daughter-in-law the same way. But you know what? None of those people, as sweet as they are and as wonderful as they are and how, how thankful I am for every one of them, none of them will ever love me like Jesus loves me. And no one in your life will ever love you like Jesus loves you. No one. You know, we all fail each other, don't we? I'm going to fail you, you're going to fail me, we're going to fail family members, they're going to fail us. I'll never forget when Roger first got saved many moons ago. And um, he went forward at my church. I was raised in a Pentecostal church. Can you tell? Hopefully not too much. (laughs) I always like to say that the Pentecostals just don't care. If they go to worship the Lord, they just flat don't care. But you know what? There's another example of of a character in the Bible that didn't care. And you know what his name was? David. I always think, you know, he had a little bit of Pentecostal blood because he flat didn't care. He didn't care. Ask Michal, Michael, ask her. He decided one day that he was just going to strip on down to his tunic and he was going to go on down there and he did it and he just began to dance before the Lord because he loved Jesus so much and he flat didn't care. He didn't care. And of course, Michael cared and she was really critical. Do you remember what happened to Michael? It did not end well for her. In Hebrew, it's lotov. Not good, Michael. Not good. But see, he was kind of Pentecostal. He didn't care. And that was the church that I went to. They didn't care. <laughs> and I loved the people there. They were wonderful people that loved Jesus with all of their heart. And so Roger, when he met me, we, didn't, we had that long courtship that she talked about. And so he, <laughs> so we met, we fell in love, and he was already going to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Um, he hadn't been saved very long, and um, so he was already kind of going out there for all of the, um, for the concerts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so when he got saved, his friends had already been taking him out there. And so then he was kind of going both places. He would come to my church because that's where I was, and then he'd go out to Costa Mesa. And so in the very beginning of all that, he wanted to go forward publicly because when he received Christ, he was all by himself. He was at Houghton Park in Long Beach, California. And so he decided he needed to go forward, and so he went forward in my, my church. Well, when you went forward in my church, at a, has anybody ever been to a Pentecostal church? 
Raise your hand. They have an altar at the, at the front of the church. I remember Kay Smith, because she, they're, Chuck and Kay were from the same background I was, that Pentecostal background, and she said, you know, I kind of miss that. She said, that altar thing, she said, because you would go down and pray at the altar. And if you got saved, accepted the Lord, you would come forward to the altar. And so Roger wanted to do that publicly, so he did. Well, the associate pastor at our church was Pastor Smith, not Chuck, a Pastor Smith, and after he had come forward and he had knelt and prayed and all that publicly, he was all, he had already done it. But Pastor Smith said, "Roger, stand up." And so he had, "What the heck?" And so everybody was kind of mingling. It was pretty much over, but there were still people there. And he said, "I want you to look around at all these people." And I go, oh, okay, you know, just a kid. And so he began to look around. He says, "Did you look at all of them?" He says, "Yeah." He said, "Every one of them will probably fail you." And Roger goes, "Goes." You know, and he said, every one of them can fail you. But he said, there's one person that will never fail you, and that's Jesus. And, you know, Roger never forgot that. And it got him through many a storm when he was failed by an individual or a person here or people there or whatever. And he always remembered there's really only one person that will never fail us, and it's Jesus. And that's one of the first things that the Lord really gave me. It was almost like an audible voice. I can't say it was audible, but it was close, let me tell you. <laughs> right after Roger went home to be with the Lord. And it was, it was just a very, I can't even, some of the things that the Lord has shown me, I almost can't put into words. <laughs> so maybe I'll come back and share the testimony. But it's, it's almost hard to describe. But um, he just told me in such a powerful way. He said, I will never leave you. And that's what he, and among, it was like a little list that he gave me about four different things that he just spoke so powerfully to me. And see, this is our Jesus. This is Jesus. No one will ever love you like he loves you. He'll never leave you. He'll never fail you. There is no one like Jesus. There is no God like Jesus. There is no entity like Jesus. There is nothing on this earth, no person, no personality that is like him. He is more faithful and more loving and more kind. And you know, he's so intimate. And you know, these guys in Bethany, they were intimate friends. He knew personal things about them. They knew personal things about Jesus. We don't think about Jesus that way sometimes. But they were intimate friends. And see, that's what he wants. He wants us to be intimate with him, and he wants to be intimate with us. I have never, you know, I've known the Lord for a long time, and I've known tons of scriptures, given tons of Bible studies, loved every minute of it, feel like he's shown me a lot, but I have never known him in the intimacy that I know him now. It's an amazing thing. It is just, in fact, I was sharing at Debbie's fellowship, and, and, and uh, that was the first place I actually shared, Jared. You know, shared, Jared. <laughs> and um, Debbie had called, and she said, Diane, I want you to come and share you know, and I was trying to get out of it because it's not, I'm not a topical girl. I'm a verse by verse girl. And so, um, so I called and her daughter answered the phone in the office the day before. And I says, you know, I've kind of got these, this other outline going on, you know, in this verse and all this kind of thing. So I was trying to get into a verse by verse Bible study, knowing what Debbie wanted. Debbie's daughter says, Diane, mom wants you to share, you know, share. 
And I'm going, dang it. Dang it. <laughs> Pardon me. I shouldn't say dang it. And so I went through this morning, and, I sh- and the first thing I said right out of the box, now since then I've shared it maybe like three different times, but um, <laughs> right out of the box I said, you know, <laughs> this isn't my forte. This isn't what I, I just love to do, but I almost can't describe it. It's almost like you're in this holy ghost bubble. It's the most incredible thing. This is our Jesus. There is nothing that can take you by surprise. See, Roger was headed home. We were going home from the hospital. We did not expect this. And so it was very sudden. In as far, now, he had been ill and had, had been you know, battling some stuff. Don't get me wrong. But we were headed home. And so it was, it was a surprise. And so... You know, it was a surprise. And when I went home that night and got all kind of settled in and everything, um, I do Pastor Chuck's devotional every single day, Wisdom for the Day. Does anybody else love Pastor Chuck's Wisdom for Today? I love it. Well, you know how it's laid out. It's laid out chronologically from Genesis to Revelation, just like, just like he teaches. And um, in the middle of every page of the devotional, there's a little box. You girls that are doing it, you know what I'm talking about, right? And he either puts a quote in there or another verse that doesn't have to do with where it is in the Bible, just another verse out of the clear blue sky. And so on that day, September 13th, he was not in Isaiah at all, but he chose that day to put into the box a verse from Isaiah. And here I was, and of course, if you know me, I'm a control freak. You know, everything, you know, I had Roger's meds, I had his, I had his, you know, appointments, I had the calendar, I had a boop, 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 General Diane in charge, right? And I'm like that anyway. <laughs> anybody else as bossy as I am? Please, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Is anybody perfect in here? Would you like to stand up for a moment so we can kick you out? <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, but I have that about myself. And so that night when I went to, to look at that devotional, I sat down, he was not an Isaiah, and in that box, to control freak Diane, (laughs) were these words, your ways are not my ways. Can you help me finish it? Your thoughts are not my thoughts, they're higher. And it was like the Holy Spirit just spoke strongly to my heart, another moment for me, and he said, Diane, this is not your call. It's not your call. Because, see, my call would have been to have Roger with me till the rapture. <laughs> Absolutely. And then we all go together. <laughs> you know, that would have been my call. Or we live to 120, you know. <laughs> that would have been my call. But, see, the Lord wanted me to know, this isn't your call. And, you know, that really was a comfort. You know why? Because the enemy, when things happen real suddenly like that, where somebody's taken home to be with the Lord that you're very, very close to, the enemy will come in in various myriads of ways i don't have all night to tell you we'll have to have coffee but um he will come in and he will say you know if you would have just gotten him in there sooner if you would have just consulted a a different kind of specialist for this malady a little quicker if you just wouldn't have been so hard on roger telling him to eat all the time and fussing with him like you did yeah i mean this is this is the devil right this is how he did and see god wanted me to know that he's on the throne that it's not my call, that nothing surprises God. So whatever trial you're in today or tonight, I'm here to tell you nothing is a surprise to God. Roger didn't enter into glory, and Jesus said, Oh, my gosh, what a surprise. I can't believe it. 
what time is it? Were you due? Excuse me. No, no. See, that's not our God, is it? See, it's not our call. He's on the throne. He's in charge of every trial, every storm. And, of course, the, the first book I read, and I had not read it, and I highly recommend it to anybody that's going through any trial, and that is When the Storm Hits. Have you read it? It's Pastor Chuck. It's one of the last books that he wrote, and I think it's one of the best ever. And I mean it applies to every trial, not just someone that's gone home with the Lord that you love. It's any trial. Read that book. It is the most powerful, wonderful book, and it's just scripture. It's just classic Pastor Chuck. So God's in control. He's in control, and he's intimate. He's intimate with us. Every single detail of our lives, he knows. You know, we always spout off really quickly. God knows the very number of the hairs on your head. Well, that's true. And he also knows when the sparrow falls. And, of course, we always think that's when the sparrow dies. Oh, when that sparrow, I just saw a dead bird, and God knew that that bird was going to die. Do you know that's not what it means? That's not what it means. It means that God knows every time a sparrow lightly touches the ground. That's our God. He's intimate, isn't he? He's intimate with us. And so here, Mary of Bethany was intimate with the Lord. He was intimate with her. That's the kind of relationship. That's the kind of worship he wants us to have. How beautiful is it? Now, there's seven things that I'm going to have to blast through because I've got about 10 minutes. <laughs> seven things about Mary's. I might have 15 because I had, I had to. <laughs> right, Trudy? <laughs> there are seven things. Okay, here we go. I'll hurry. Seven things about Mary's action. This beautiful, worshipful action that I want us to look at. And we're going to go really fast. The first thing is, number one, is that Mary's worship was with sacrifice and extravagance. I love that word, extravagance. She was extravagant. Why, was, why, why would I say she was extravagant? She was extravagant because the spike nard, or the nard, as it was called in that day, was extremely expensive stuff. It was probably, as you all know, I'm sure because you're so well taught, it was probably worth a whole year's wages. And they think that this costly spikenard was probably, could very well have been for Mary's own burial. It was probably her spikenard for her burial because many commentators think that the a person's that the parents of a, an individual oftentimes what they would do is they would go and purchase save up and purchase this burial beautiful ointment for their child. They would give it to that child, and then that nard, that expensive nard that their parents gave them, then became their prized possession all through their own life. So to even give this prized possession to someone would have been an act of absolute extravagance and great sacrifice in that day. But then to just, just to give it would have been sacrifice, but to take it and pour it, over somebody's head the way that Mary did would have actually been an unheard of action. And so it was absolutely extravagant what she did. She was extravagant. And I love what Alan Redpath said. He said this, you know how much you love someone by the amount that you're prepared to sacrifice for that person. You know, love, true love, agape love. Many times you see there's sacrifice in that, isn't there? Jesus agape us. He sacrificed himself for us. 
And so, see, true love means sacrifice. And Mary's love for her Lord poured itself out upon Jesus in lavish sacrifice and complete extravagance. And so Mary was willing to act with this sacrifice, this extravagance, because her worship was, now listen, she was able to do this because her worship was only for Jesus. It was exclusively for the master. And Mary had made Jesus the master and the center of her life. She knew that Jesus was her hope. She knew Jesus was her everything. She knew Jesus was her very life. Do you know that tonight? He is my life. He's always been my life. But let me tell you, when you're in a, in a biggie, <laughs> the small, medium, large, when you're not large, he is your life. You know that Jesus is all you have when Jesus is all you have. He's all, he is it. And this is how Mary looked at Jesus. He was her center because, see, she had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. She had watched it. So to her and to Martha and to Lazarus, Jesus was everything to them. He had raised, literally raised him back from the dead. So see, when they looked at Jesus, it was like, you mean everything to us, everything. And so see, that's why she could act with that kind of sacrifice and that kind of extravagance. And so see, do we think of Jesus that way? Do we say, Lord, you just, you pulled me up out of that pit. You did everything for me. You're faithful to me. You're all I have. You're my rock. You're my strength. You're my power in every storm. Lord, you're everything. See, that prompts us to be extravagant with the Lord. Just like Mary, that's how we're supposed to be. Sitting at Jesus' feet, beginning to learn and take it in, the word of God. Find out what he's like, his character. Who is he? What kind of a God is he? Do we know how tender he is? Do we know that? Do we really know it? He's so tender. Do you love the tenderness of Jesus? He's so kind. And of course, forgiving. All of our sins have been forgiven. But he's kind and he's sweet. That's why he's the example there that we um, so often read about in Ephesians. I often ca- call that the, um, the key to marriage. You don't need psychobabble on marriage. You don't need the aisles of psych- psychology when it comes to marriage. All you need is one verse. One verse. And it really applies to every human relationship. And that is, be ye kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven me. That's the key to marriage right there. It's the key to every interpersonal relationship you'll ever have. We could clean out whole sections of the bookstore, couldn't we? One verse, one verse. How glorious is that? Just be kind. Well, who's the example for that there? It's Jesus. He's kind. He's tender. He's intimate. How glorious is that? And so see, Mary, as we sit at Jesus' feet and we begin to learn who he is, and we have that that relationship that's centered upon him, everything else begins to revolve around him. And see, that should be the, the motive of our ministries, whatever we're doing for the Lord. See, that's what keeps us going. See, we would... You get weary and well-doing when you start doing it for people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, people, like I said, what happens? We fail each other, right? People aren't perfect. They're imperfect. Sometimes, as we were talking before we came out, our hearts are extremely, they are black hearts, aren't they? We have black hearts. <laughs> we're constantly needing that, that just to go and confess and just receive that fresh, 
you know, washing and cleansing because we are so, so soaked in sin, aren't we? And so that cross and that blood, it means everything. And so, see, if we don't have that motivation of our worship, of whatever we're doing for the Lord, if it's not completely for him, forget about it. Forget about it. We're not going to do something for somebody else, are we? Just outright just to do something for somebody else? We need to be doing it for Jesus. When we teach Sunday school, when we do worship, when we do whatever ministry we're doing, we're doing it as unto the Lord. We're not doing it just, of course we're wanting the people to be blessed, and that's what happens. That's the result. But we're doing everything as unto the Lord. So how glorious is that? And then number two, Mary acted with daring. Don't you love daring people? I love people that are daring. I love women that are daring. And so she acted in a daring way. And um, how beautiful is that? And so whenever we do anything really costly or really extravagant like Mary did for the Lord, somebody's sure to object. And the same thing happened to her. Anytime we step out and we're daring for Jesus, that exact thing happened. So she dared to come out of the crowd to stand alone for Jesus. She was daring. She dared to be noticed in front of other people. She didn't compromise by blending into the crowd. She wasn't afraid. She was daring. How glorious is that? She dared to do the unconventional. This was never done. It was out of the ordinary. And and for a woman to do this, for a woman to do this in a crowd of men, she was one daring woman. And so maybe the Lord's speaking to your heart to do something really daring for the Lord. Be a Mary of Bethany. She was daring in her worship. And of course, we know that God loves to use women, doesn't he? He loves it. In the Old Testament, he used people like Deborah. He used people like J.L. and Huldah, these wonderful, godly Old Testament women. And then in the New Testament, of course, we see Priscilla. We see, um, I love the story of Aquila. And uh, you know what? Well, I'm not going to go there because I don't have enough time. But (laughs) every woman in the New Testament that we see mentioned, they had these beautiful ministries. And we see see all these people that are named specifically. And even in our generation, we see Amy Carmichael, people like Fanny Crosby, people like Gladys Aylward, people that, women that dared, and God used them. And then number three, Mary acted with courage. And you don't see any fear in in Mary's heart, in, in any part of her action that she there was no fear of what people might say no fear of criticism no fear of ridicule she acted with courage number four mary also acted with knowledge mary here appears now listen she acted with knowledge she it seems as though here that mary was the only person in that room that truly understood that jesus was about to die she was the only one Even the disciples, what had they been talking about? Whenever you read the Gospels, what were they talking about? They were talking about who was going to be first in the kingdom. Oh, I'm going to be, you know, who's going to be first? I'm going to be, I mean, they were filled with all this stuff and this pride. And I want to be first and all, I want to be greater. But here, Mary, she has this sensitivity. And she understands the things concerning Jesus and what he's about to do. She knew, and she had a sensitivity, and she had a knowledge that the disciples didn't have, that the men didn't have. She knew something was up, 
She had that sensitivity. And so how did Mary know that something was at hand? Because she had spent time at his feet. Mary had chosen to saturate herself with Jesus' word. And because of that, she had developed a deep spiritual insight and a sensitivity to the Lord because she had chosen to sit at his feet and have that wonder, that word of God just soak into her. She was saturated with it. And so she had developed this spiritual insight. And so Mary, basically Mary chose to be busier on the inside than the outside, like Martha, right? On the inside. So that's a good check question for us. Are we busier on the inside or the outside? Jesus said about Mary and Luke that she had chosen that good part that no one can take away. And so Mary was a wise woman. She knew where her knowledge was going to come from. It was from sitting at Jesus' feet, choosing that good part that nobody could ever take away from her, Jesus said. Time spent with Jesus is yours forever. What you glean and what you get from the Lord, that's why you should always have a pen ready. Because those are nuggets, those are power, wonderful, precious things that he's telling you whenever you're sitting at his feet. And they can never be taken away from you. And you know, everything else fails, doesn't it? The money fails, right? The Bible tells us that the money fails. People fail us. Sometimes they go home to be with the Lord when we're not expecting it. Kids fail us. Marriages fail. Anybody here with a perfect marriage? Stand up. You know why there are no perfect marriages? Because... Every marriage is made up, same way in this room, we're all big fat sinners, right? And so see, there's no perfect anything. And so nothing lasts forever. And so then also number five, Mary acted, I'm going to blast her, Mary acted with humility. We read in John's account that Mary took the spikenard and she wiped Jesus' feet with what? With her hair. And what do we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15? A woman's hair is her crowning glory. And so what did she do? She took her crowning glory and she used it to minister to the Lord. Great life lesson, isn't it? Wonderful lesson for us. She took her crowning glory. She used it to minister to Jesus. No pride in her crowning glory, but she took it humbly and used it for her master. And so what's your crowning glory? Are you a good cook? Can you sing? Are you great with kids? Can you teach? What talents, what gifts do you have? Those are your crowning glories, and they're beautiful. But do we take our crowning glories and we minister to Jesus? So see, isn't that beautiful? In humility, and we're humble. And so we take all of our crowning glories, all the things that we we have about ourselves, and we know that they're, they're good things. Well, let's take those things in humility and pour them upon the Lord. And then Mary acted with urgency, number six. She does it right now. She doesn't wait. Now, there are going to be women that come later on to anoint Jesus' body for the burial when he's already dead. One person said this, that Mary chose to bring Jesus flowers before the funeral. Before the funeral. She does it now. She had an urgency to serve the Lord. She didn't wait. Do you guys know who Henrietta Mears is? She is the woman that invented Sunday school curriculum. The reason we have Sunday school curriculum is because of Henrietta Mears. And her story is fabulous. You need to Google her. She's an amazing, amazing woman. She's with the Lord. Roger's already gotten to know her. And she was an amazing lady. She would, she would dramatize the Bible story. She, she and her sister were spinsters. They didn't have um, 
uh, husbands. They had never got married. And they would wear these big feather hats and these big fancy things. And she just could teach the Bible up one side and down the other. She was an amazing, amazing woman. And I got, for the first time, I had never heard her voice. And somebody had found these, these old tapes and kept them. And it was her voice. And one of the main points that she was making on that particular study was that when you know God is telling you to do something for your Lord, don't wait. Do it now. Now, she wasn't saying don't pray about it or be wise, but she was saying if you wait too long, you'll end up not doing it. And Mary wasn't willing to wait. She did it now. She, was, she did it with urgency. And then she acted without reserve. Number seven, she acted without reserve. She didn't hold anything back from Jesus. Even the alabaster box, she broke it. She broke it open. So it wasn't just the spikenard. It was the very box. She was willing even for that box to be broken open for Jesus. She didn't hold anything back. And, of course, what's the lesson for us? It's as we um, talk with the Lord and as we serve the Lord that we need to be willing for the alabaster box of our lives to be broken open, right? Broken up before him. What, what, what does that mean? What should be broken up? The alabaster box of our very life, the alabaster box of my will, of your, of our very wills and choices, the alabaster box of our own ways, of our own thinking, all those things, we need to be willing for those to be broken up and brought before the Lord in worship. And then as we act without reserve, not holding anything back from Jesus, as we're willing for our desires and our choices to be his choices and his desires, wow, when we do that, when we're willing to actually have our lives broken open for him, every aspect of our lives, it's then that the fragrance goes forth. That's when everybody smells us. <laughs> the fragrance goes forth in the most beautiful way. Everybody begins to know there's something different about this person. They, this person is different. Why? Because you've sat at his feet. You've been absorbed in his word. And you're determined that you're going to lay out your life. You're going to br- be broken before him. And that fragrance goes out. And of course, um, now notice also in John's account, it said that the fragrance of the ointment filled the whole house. And see, as we choose to allow our wills and our ways and our lives and everything, our choices, our knowledge, our everything to be broken open, that's when that fragrance is going to be in our house, in our homes, to our husbands, to our children, to everyone that comes into our lives. How beautiful is that? Don't you want, you, don't you want that fragrance of your life to go forth? We don't want to smell like ourselves. We want to smell like Jesus, right? Somebody said, and I love this, and we're almost done. Somebody said that this ointment, this nard, this spike nard was so pungent, and it was so rich with fragrance that many people think and assume that Jesus could probably still smell it as he hung up on the cross. Can you imagine? Chances are good that he could still smell that spikenard as he hung upon the cross. That's how strong it was and how pungent it was. That as he hung there on the cross, that fragrance was still coming up to him, reminding him of Mary's great love for him. And so see, as we're willing for our lives to be broken open before him, unreservedly, not holding anything back, it's that sweet fragrance to Jesus reminding him of how much we love him, how much we love him, where he just kind of takes a whiff and says, ooh, she's willing to break that open for me. 
she loves me. And he just, he just, that sweetness, that obedience in our lives. And we're going to be obedient to the Lord and have that, that aspect of our life, whatever it is, you fill in the blank that Lord, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to do that for you. And it gives him pleasure. It gives him pleasure. You know, there's something about perfume, isn't there? Something about perfume. Now I have one favorite I'm very um, stuck on, and that's white linen, Estee Lauder white linen. I love it. And I'll never forget one time, I don't know where Roger was, but we were in Sam's Club, and I was wearing white linen. And um, they can be very powerful. Fragrances can be very powerful. And so we were, I was in line. I didn't, like I said, I don't know where Roger is, but there was this man behind me. <laughs> and he says, excuse me. I said, yeah. He says, you're wearing white linen, aren't you? And I said, well, yeah. And I'm thinking, where's Roger? <laughs> yeah. He says, well, the only reason I'm asking is that I'm divorced from my wife. But that was her favorite cologne. And he said, I, I remember that. So see, look how, and, and see, I just think of that, that spike knot was so powerful. It was a reminder to Jesus of how much Mary loved him, even on the cross. How beautiful. And so she was courageous. She didn't let anything hold her back. And you know, she could have let a lot of things hold her back. She could have said to herself, you know what? I'm a woman. This isn't done. This is unconventional. It's, you know, she could have let a number of things hold her back, but she didn't do that. She stood on the threshold of that door and she said, I am going to give everything to Jesus. She didn't let anything hold her back. She didn't let anything make her hesitate. She stood there on the threshold and she said, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to give it all to him. I'm not holding one thing back. And that's what Jesus wants from us. He just wants us to step across that threshold and say, you know what? I'm going to give it all to Jesus, everything that I have, all my talents, all my gifts, all my opportunities. I'm going to give it to him, and I'm not going to ever fail to just sit at his feet. I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to sit there, and I'm just going to be absorbed in his word so that I can know him in such an intimate way. Don't you want to do that? I want to know him. Because, see, nothing else, nothing else gets it for me. One of the first things that I share with people now is that I'm not into psychobabble. I'm not into psychology. I'm not into psych- psychology books. I'm not into support groups. And I always tell people, if you need a Christian support group, I'm not saying that they're wrong or that they're sin. So don't go away thinking, Diane said, nobody can ever go I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for me, there's one person. And that's Jesus. Because, see, nobody's ever going to love me like he loves me. There's nobody. There's nobody like him. No one. And there's only one book. Because, see, in this book, this is where I find out what he's like. This is where I find out what he wants. This is where I find out how much he loves me. See, see, we serve an intimate God, don't we? He's intimate. Mary and Martha and Lazarus had a very intimate friend And he loved them so sweetly and so tenderly. And see, that's what Jesus wants from us. He wants intimacy. He wants us to be honest. And you know what? God knows everything anyway. Jesus knows everything. He knows when we're mad. He knows when we're disgusted. He knows when we're going through a small, medium, or large trial. He knows when that kid has gone off running again and they're a prodigal. He knows everything about us. He knows Psalms 139 says that he knows my thoughts afar off. He knows your thoughts afar off. Did you know that? Now, when you look at that verse, sometimes you think, oh, that means if I'm over here in South Carolina 
And God's in heaven. He knows my thoughts afar off. No, 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 no. You know what it means in the Hebrew? It means that God knows the very motive, the very source and motive of the thought that I'm going to think next. Think about that for a second. He knew you were going to think that. (laughs) See how intimate he is? See how intimate he is? He knows when we hurt. He knows when we cry. Recently, I've been doing a little thing since I've been doing a lot of crying. (laughs) I can't stand here and say that I don't cry because I cry every day. In fact, I had a little phrase. And it goes, Mom, you need to write a book and you need to call it that. I call it Tears Before Coffee. (laughs) Tears before coffee, tears with coffee, tears after. Because you miss people, right? Now, those tears aren't for Roger. Because, you know, Roger, he's, he's where he is in glory. And you know what? I was just telling Trudy that the phrase is around our house. He doesn't care about anything here. <laughs> Nothing. He is so, fo- I mean, it's so much more intense there, right? But there are tears, of course. And all the tears are for me. <laughs> because I miss them. Of course I miss them. But at the same time, and, well, let me back up just real quick, and I'm going to close with this. I've really been fascinated with tears. And so I begin to think about tears, and people that are going through things, whether it's, you know, having a loved one that goes home to be with the Lord or a, a, a stray child or a, a marriage breaking up. Or I just really began to think about tears. And I told Tedra, I said, I've really been thinking about that for a long time. And so I thought, I'm just going to see if anybody ever wrote a book about tears. Well, guess what? There's a few books out there about tears. And do you know what they've discovered? That every time we cry, every situation that we're in they've tested the tears and that tears are chemically different in every situation they're chemically different they're unique in every situation if you're crying tears because oh it's my birthday and oh you guys were so sweet i'm so happy that you did my birthday party and then someone over here is so sad because maybe you know they have a sick child or someone's just gone home the oh and they're mournful they're different different chemical isn't that intimate God created our tear ducts, and he created our tears to be different in different situations. And then, of course, all of a sudden, I go to Psalms, and it says that he puts our tears, where? In his bottle. He stores them up. And I'm going, now, isn't that interesting? Number one, one of the songs had it, salty tears. Tears have salt, don't they? We're supposed to be salt to the world. Well, that's interesting. And then I got to thinking, and he puts all of our tears in a bottle, and they get all kind of mingled together, all those different chemical makeup tears. It's a work in progress. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going there with it. But isn't that intimate of the Lord? Every set of tears is different. It's amazing. He's amazing. He's amazing. And every time he ministers to each one of us, it's different. He's intimate. He's a friend like no other. Ask Mary. Ask Martha. And ask Lazarus. There is no friend like Jesus. None. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for your sweetness, for your tenderness, for your kindness. And Father, I pray for every woman in this room. Lord, some of us are in small trials, some of us are in mediums, and some of us are in bigs. But Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you, Lord, that you are so great and so awesome, and yet you're so tender. And you're so intimate. So, Lord, you are worthy. We thank you, Father, for giving your son. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to die. And Holy Spirit, how we thank you that you drew us. Thank you, Lord. 
You're so good. Give us that power of the Holy Spirit to sit at your feet, to do the things that you've commanded us to do. And Lord, teach us, teach us through your word more and more about your precious personality, your scintillating personality, that we can go to new depths and new heights with you. Use us, Lord, like you used Mary of Bethany. Lord, let us be worshipers. Fill our hearts, Lord, day in and day out. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.